Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. On this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are high-performing fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. On today's podcast, I had a great, thorough conversation with Randy Schwantz, who's the CEO of The Wedge Group, and we got into some depth around how to get your competition fired through attracting clients, not chasing them. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas, topics you'd like to hear on this podcast in the future, just let us know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a podcast and conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time, how to get your competition fired. And I am so excited about this because of our guest, Randy Schwantz, who, in my view, has the most unique, compelling, and effective approach to what I would call persuasive impact. Okay, so not selling. And I will tell you, going back to Secrets of Closing the Sale from Zig Ziglar and onwards, I've read so many books on sales and marketing Respectfully, they're all pretty much uh, interchangeable, theoretical, not all that actionable. Randy Schwantz's approach is uh, most closely aligned with our philosophy of stewardship, not salesmanship. So attract, don't chase. There's no contrived tactics for overcoming objections. There's no clever closing techniques. This is a professional, respectful approach to enable a prospective client to come to their own conclusions and buy in. So instead of you selling them on becoming a client, getting them to buy into a relationship with you. And as you're going to see uh, with Randy, this is an actionable proven process. It's also sequential, which means it builds on itself and cascades to this natural uh, event where ultimately the client closes you and your clients become advocates and go out and stir the pot to steer prospective clients to you in the form of advocacy. All of that said, the cherry on top is Randy is also borderline mercenary on moving the needle. So it's not just the art of persuasive impact. It's the science of growing big or going home. And uh, so Randy, thanks very much for being here. I just want to say right up front, that's probably the most impressive Zoom slash WebEx backdrop I've ever seen. There's so much going on back there. But right up front, I just want to jump into the wedge. There's these three characters behind you that are very attention getting. So first of all, thanks for being here and let's jump right in. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Well, so the three characters, what are they? Well, the guy in blue is the advisor. The guy in white is the buyer or client, if you will. And the guy in red is the incumbent advisor. And kind of the whole philosophy around, as you introduce it, how to get your competition fired and kind of the subtitle that is without saying anything bad about them. You, you would never say anything bad. You wouldn't be unprofessional. And so there's kind of a process. And it was an epiphany that I had, I don't know, 25, 28 years ago now that 
almost all the traditional selling says is there two two of us in a interview. And then if you can build a relationship, find out what people need, bring them what you need, you should, should get rewarded. But the reality is there's a bad guy. I like, I like to think of that as a bad guy. He's, and the bad guy has your money. Um, the bad guy is in the position. They're sitting in the, the, the king's seat or the queen's seat. And they get a chance to come back and throw darts and do whatever because they have a relationship. So if you can't get your competition fired, you can't get hired. And that's what this stuff's all about. Okay, so that is so profound. And I was introduced to that by Chris Jepson, right? Who you know very well. Yep. Uh, he is such a huge fan of your philosophy and your approach. But when he said that to me for the first, and this goes back several years, where he said, Hey, if you want to get hired, someone's got to get fired. There is an incumbent provider. It's not like you're in front of a prospective client that's just getting going. Now, that said, there's a degree of predisposition. They're in front of you because there is either an unmet need or they're disenchanted with their current approach. But that is such a profound concept of taking the high road. And you know, when you when when somebody reads the wedge for financial advisors, you actually it, it's counterintuitive, but you're actually in many ways coming to the defense of the incumbent. So you're not only saying not saying something negative because if you do, uh, now the prospective client is guilty by association. You might as well insult them too by saying Absolutely. something negative. But when 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 your wedges start to Socratically prompt the prospective client to start saying out loud, you know what, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I do have some issues I need to address. You then come to the defense of the incumbent, which is so incredibly professional. And I'd love to hear your perspective on that too. Well, yeah, yeah, I've never heard it literally put that way. What I what I think is that we, we first of all. I'm going to, I'm going to start with the buyer, the buyer, the client, the, 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 the first problem with the client is that to a great degree that they have lowered their expectations down to what they're getting. They're fundamentally content. They might have a little dissatisfaction, maybe some of your marketing or the way you got introduced in created a little bit of fascination where they want to meet with you. But fundamentally there's a lot of things where they've been trained to accept things the way they are. You know, they thought about it. I wish things could be better. They talked to their existing advisor advisor said, well, it's just the way it is kind of, and, and so they, they got content. So then what we're doing is, is as, um, you know, using, you know, getting engaged, using our brain, thinking about the value we bring on a different basis, then we're going to make the assumption that the incumbent advisor is already doing it for them. Hey, when your when your advisor comes out and does boop, 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 boop. And then through that kind of question, that's where you create a massive amount of contrast between what they could be having and what they're getting. And the typical response of the buyer is, well, they, they don't do that. And instead of jumping on it and go, well, we do, and then, and then start to go into a pitch, you just back up and you, and you say something really polite, like, oh, okay, so then having that's not that important. And you just let it drop, just like a rock. And if it is, they pick it up and they run with it and they start to tell you how it is important. So then now they start to own these issues or problems or whatever you want to call them. And it's just, it's, it's just remarkable to watch it work 
because it creates no defensiveness. It raises the expectations and the buyer become, it becomes very real to them that they are being underserved by their current advisor. And all of a sudden that's what the wedge is. Now there becomes space between the buyer and the incumbent and the incumbent loses their advantage of incumbency. And that's really in essence what we're trying to create. And I do want to come back to that because you have another key point that helps to counter diminishing intent when it comes to that confrontation later with the incumbent, but we'll park that for the time being. Yeah. You, you said something interesting there. It's magic when it works. And I, I think you remember this, but before you and I met, coincidentally, not only was Chris Jepson raving about you, but then I happened to stumble into a long-term friend who was with a substantial, very respected firm who had already been engaging you. And then he started explaining to me on your behalf. And I will tell you something, to your point, he had it ice cold. And it was not contrived. It was not forced. He had conviction and, and passion for the approach. And um, what's, what's fascinating about this is that it occurred to me because we, we always say to our coaching clients, we say, look, when you and I are having a consultation together, there's a third chair. And the third chair is there's one of your clients sitting there listening in as a fly in the wall. And I don't want you to say anything that would embarrass you in front of your client. So everything's transparent and forthright, which lines up with the three amigos behind you because it's kind of the same approach that there's somebody else that has to be factored into the equation. Now, I'll just also build on this because it's not just the persuasive impact of when somebody is in front of a prospective client. It's also for the client to then internalize those wedges and that value and be able to go out and articulate it and socialize it to others in the spirit of advocacy. And that must be very gratifying. And I'm, did, did you make that connection out of the gate or did that come later that it wasn't just the landing of the client, it was then the deployment, the activation of the client as an advocate to then go out and represent it to the people they know. I honestly don't remember when that connection came together, but but it's a, but it is a huge connection, and you know we we call that process red hot introductions, and when when the when the when the story that your client can say about you is more than they're good people, I like them and trust them, and they can actually talk about what you do and how you do it. We think, we think of that as kind of like the written service plan that goes way beyond the financial plan. They can talk about that. Then as they do, A, they're excited about it because it's impacted their lives. B, once again, it creates contrast for the person that, that, that you're wanting to get introduced to where they can start to see that difference too and, and go, well, yeah, I'm not getting any of that. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to meet them. And it just... It, it just, you know, you could call it dominoes or kind of builds on itself for sure. Okay. So perfect segue. So the first thing I want to go back to though, you said something powerful, the, the restraint a professional has to resist the temptation to pounce when a prospective client shifts from the inside voice where they actually say something out loud that some people would view as a buying signal, Right which I've never liked that 
terminology or a um, hot button, yeah. a hot button. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. hot button, Buy signal, all that stuff. Right. But because, because here's, here's the psychology and I know you're such, you take this so seriously because it's so respectful of the other, you know, of the prospective client. They're coming to this encounter with a degree of anticipation. They've heard good things about the advisor. They're disillusioned with their incumbent. So they want to believe, but there's apprehension. And the apprehension is, uh, I'm going to get closed. Somebody's going to try to convince me to sell me, uh, buyer's remorse, caveat emptor, all of these things swirling around. And again, the classic salesperson, when they do see that hot button, it's game on, right? They pounce. The ability, because, and, and the client, or sorry, prospective client is kind of bracing themselves for the pounce. And there's this sort of friction in between. When there's no pounce, when there's no salesmanship, it's all stewardship. It just creates, it's, it's like a flower in the sun. It just opens up. So incredibly. So let's let's build on this because uh, another thing I noticed in in going through your process quite deeply, and speaking with Scott and speaking with Jepson, who knows it better than I do. So the ultimate place to be as a professional in front of a prospective client is that nexus, right? The intersection uh, where professional contrast and professional scarcity comes together. Okay, so the professional contrast, that's self-evident. The prospective client comes to their own conclusions. Finally, this is what I've been looking for. The professional scarcity is this professional isn't trying to be all things to all people. He gets me. He understands a day in my life. And it activates the sense of belonging, which also is I'm drawn to you. So you've got some really powerful... Uh, I guess you'd call them key performance indicators, which are, are what you're trying to get a prospective client to say. Now, sorry, I'm thinking out loud here as it relates to both when you're in, in with the prospective client, but also from the standpoint of advocacy. I'm going to jump to advocacy first, actually. You said to me that you, you want a friend of a client to say to the client out loud, why, why do I just, why do I keep putting up with my current advisor? And then, and then the, the follow-up question to that is, how can I meet your advisor? Okay, so, so let's talk about engineering that from the standpoint of advocacy, and then we'll go back to the prospective client uh, interaction. You could just build on that for me. Yeah, so I mean, so if you are going to build on it, 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 it's, I think it starts with it starts with you getting really clear about uh, I'm gonna call it your value proposition, and you, you move off a product. The product is is commoditized. Everybody's got access to the same thing. So you you move into your services. When I think about service, I create two distinctions: reactive and proactive. Reactive is mm -hmm. responding. You know, somebody has a, a question, somebody has a need, somebody gets some more money, you help them better, just whatever. That's reactive, and everybody's pretty good at that. But when you can develop your proactive services, then it's almost like the difference between a doctor and a dentist. See, a doctor, when you get sick, you go to the doctor and 
doctor gives you a shot or gives you a script and says, hey, you know, if things aren't better, holler at me. I'll be here for you. And it's kind of a reactive. They react to you being ill or whatever. A dentist, though, has a plan to keep you out of trouble. Every six months, they're going to bring you back in. They're going to, they're going to check for gum recession. They're going to clean your teeth. They're going to look for oil, cancer. Every, every other time back in, they're going to do x-ray and look for cavities and things like that. And they're doing preventive work. And so I think of those things as proactive services. Well, the value of proactive services is that it makes your future very predictable. Reactive services, you just know somebody's going to be there for you. It's almost like a typical bank. You know, they're always there to take your money, make a deposit and things like that, right? So, so it starts with that. Let's go define our proactive services. And then, you know, you and me both, we've, we've got children. I've got four daughters. In fact, there's a picture of them right there. Um, and what's, what's interesting about my four daughters is that they all have unique names. Why? So we can identify them, so we can call them out. When you take your proactive services and you move it from an idea or a generalized capability into a distinct thing that you do, that we can give it a name, now we've kind of stacked that up. Well, it's those things that become wedges that we use to get the buyer to discover they're being underserved by the incumbent advisor. And then as they, as they, as they become a client, then, then you're really delivering on those. And that really becomes at the heart, a lot of that story that makes them an advocate. In other words, when they're, when they're talking about somebody else, not only do they like you and respect you and think you're good, the problem with that is that, is that most, most of the people you want to meet already have an advisor that they like, they respect, and they think is good. And so unless you can create that contrast in, in that person that you want to meet, mind, and the person that's going to help you do that becomes your existing client. That's the advocate, right? That's going to tell that story. Well, the more black and white your services are, the easier it is to tell that story. The more fluffy it is, it gets back to, hey, you got to talk to my people. They're, they're good. All right. Well, in that cause, you know, there's, there's, I think of it that when, in fact, it, it just happened to a client of mine that's a, it's a bank-owned firm. So the bankers have enough leverage with their clients to get their insurance agents in the door. The problem is it's political leverage. It's not advocacy type stuff. It's not value. And so when, when people agree to meet, they're either going to do it for a political reason. Uh, well, the, the, they're either going to say no, do it for political reason, or do it because selfishly what they got told, they're thinking, how do I get some of that? And obviously, we're going for number three. And that's where the, the proactive services then leads to the wedge conversation, turns them into a client, leads them to an advocate that leads them to you know, getting introductions in a very powerful way. Okay, you covered a lot of ground there. And let me just <laughs> give you my interpretation. So the wedge is not promissory on short-term performance or product issues. Um, it, so it's a given that the financial professional has the technical ability in the goods, but you don't lead with that and use that as a wedge. You also don't use that as the wedge for your advocates to represent you. So they're not talking in general terms and fluff, as you said, she's great. I trust her. She's also not setting an expectation that's flawed on short-term rates of return. It goes back to that reactive and proactive service. And 
So you use the dentist analogy. I mean, the, the dentist profession, they had to adopt best practices because it was the one profession most people dreaded the most. So they couldn't leave it to the client to schedule the cleaning. They had to proactively schedule it and create a client experience. And it serves them as incredibly well. But what's, what's profound is that is an unmet need because most people who leave a financial professional, they're not complaining about performance. They're complaining about random haphazard client experiences and shallow chemistry and interaction. My wife went to the dentist a couple of days ago and she's when, when I picked her up and she got in the car, she didn't talk about anything to do with the technical. She talked about the, how much they knew and remembered about her, even to the point where they asked about me. And, and that's what she came out of the office talking about, not how thorough a job they did in the cleaning. So there's a bedside manner and a decorum, but the scheduled process-driven client experience, that's a wedge, I'm assuming, because performance is what money is, but what does money do? It creates peace of mind. So you're basically emphasizing the peace of mind, like, okay, my process will liberate you to go live your life. Okay. Now on the reactive side, yeah, it's a given. Everyone's got a bat line. The phone rings. We, the world stops. We address it. But we've all been in a situation where we've been in a doctor's office and you know it. When they walk in, you're sitting there for 20 minutes waiting, door opens, and you know it. They start thinking about you the minute they pull that clipboard off the back of the door. And they're playing catch up right then and there. They're, they're reacting and they stop thinking about you when they put it back and everybody leaves. You get, you know, so, so there, there's some messaging or, or there's a, there's a takeaway in there that we're trying to use. So, so the proactive scheduled client experience that liberates someone to live their life. You've got this. That's where the wedge lives. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So- and 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 we're the and and then the maybe the driver of that. Think about this. Every I mean, every time we do a wedge workshop, you know, one of our exercises is to take 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 our clients through be the buyer, and just and just start thinking about all the things you hate about this environment because you don't understand it, and what you don't understand you can't control, and when you don't understand it, you can't control it, then you feel like a victim. So let's just go list out all those things they don't understand about how this works, whatever it is. Well, as you start to take that list of things they don't understand, and you, you, then you come over and you go, okay, how do I take what they don't understand and now make that a process so now it becomes understandable, that then becomes one of your proactive services. So think about it like this. I go back to once again, my kids, you know, when they're 14 years old in high school, the freshman. You know, they start thinking about college. By the time they're sophomore, they really start thinking more seriously about college. And sooner or later, they're going to have to figure out where they're going to go and, and what, what, what floats their boat. Well, how do you, as a general rule, you know, so, some kids are very learned, highly experienced, travel all over the place, and they know exactly what they want. But, but the average kid doesn't, I don't think. And so how do you help them? So I just think of it like them. I'm a kid. I'm 16 years old. 
Um, I don't want to be an engineer. Don't want to be an accountant. Don't be a lawyer. So, but I know I need to go to school. So what am I going to study? Number two is what kind of school? Don't want to go to big school, small school, sports school, academic school, uh, far away from home, near home. Uh, and so, so basically, you know, if, if, because kids have had to make that decision so many hundreds of thousands of times, it basically becomes a simple little matrix, can be. And you help a kid kind of just go close to home, far away from home. Big school, small school. Big school, lots of people, great sports team. Small school, academic, you know, very diverse. And you just kind of help them think through that. So now that you're, you're moving them through that decision. Okay, so what does that have to do with advisors? Think about all the things. If you're the average user of an advisor's services and knowledge and skills that are grossly misunderstood, hard to understand, unpredictable, and therefore confusing to your to average client. If you just sit there and you just take and make a list of that and convert each one of those into a process that now makes it mm-hmm. predictable, understandable, and that process is going to be a worksheet, a spreadsheet, a checklist, or something. Mm-hmm. You, man, you can create a, a list of, of great wedges that the incumbent is not doing because they're it's simply because they're just not thinking this way. And so uh, when you do, in in the sense of Extraordinary, you don't have to be extraordinary. You just got to be, you know, it's like the whole deal about the bear, you know, the, the bear. I can't, I can't remember the story now, but it's like the bear chasing, you know, how, you can't, out, you know, oh, the guy's putting on his tennis shoes. He goes, you can't outrun the bear. He said, I don't have to. All I do is out, have to outrun you. So in a sense, what we have to do is outrun the incumbent in terms of making these things predictable and using that as wedges, and then you create a better experience for your clients. Hopefully that made sense. I'll let you just kind of fire away. Okay. Up. Well, let's let's dig into that a little bit. So without killing it in complexity or abstract, you know, keep brevity, specificity, something that the client can really conceptualize and understand. So I'm thinking of you. I'm going to put you on the spot yeah. here and see yeah, if you yeah, can cool. actually come up with an, a wedge in real time. So let's assume that most prospective clients feel that their current incumbent advisor is kind of cobbling it together, right? They're building the bridge as they cross it. There's no future pacing. There's a financial plan, but there's disconnects on the planning. And so directionally, the, the, the client feels like they understand what's been done to this moment, but there's so there's such a lack of clarity on where this is all going. So you got the other advisor who is process-driven. And the advisor wants the prospective client to come to their own conclusions that Cobbling it together is inadequate. Buying into a process, it's crystal clear. We've cracked the code. There's parts of the process that aren't relevant to you yet, but as your life unfolds, your needs evolve, we'll put it all together. So I'm just springing this on you. Is there a wedge there between cobbling it together and having a fully defined, built-out process? It's like the difference between having a puzzle with all the pieces in front of you with no picture. I've got the picture. I know what this looks like, and this is where we're going. It's that future pacing. Is there a wedge in there, Randy? 
Yeah. In fact, you, you could probably use the, your, 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 your picture of putting together the puzzle as the analogy to set up the wedge. Okay. Probably. I mean, I mean, I'm, you, you know, I'm kind of pulling this out just as you were asking it, but um, when, so now we take that. So, so here's a thousand piece crossword puzzle. Here's what it looks like. I mean, very simply, you know, if, 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 when you compare, you know, you're, you're two hours into putting together the puzzle, you got 200 pieces done, you got 800 pieces left. So you can see where am I in proportion to the finish? So when I come back and I think, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody's 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, they're all thinking about where I am in relationship to the finish, maybe in the life being the finish. You know, it's like, so if I'm, when I'm in the saving years where I am in relationship to that, you know, and so we're projecting that out and let people know it's not just, here's a financial plan with this financial plan, you do this, but boom, now let's, now let's compare the projection with where you are. So you can see that you're, you're below it or above it. Something that I mean, very simple, right? A very simple little thing. It, it, and also in my experience. That is a, uh, that's a very simple, profound wedge that most people don't know where they are in relationship to where they're supposed to be. Yeah. And we call it benchmarking, call it whatever you want to. Uh, but that, that could easily turn into a simple wedge. And, and all it is is kind of a graph. You're here. You expect to be here, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. And you're either, you know, it could be an S curve. You know, sometimes you're buff, sometimes you're blow, but you're always doing it. So people know where they are in relationship and they know they need to make up they got to find a way to make up and invest more or that they, that they're mm -hmm. kind of ahead of the curve and they can relax and enjoy it a little bit. But I don't, I don't know if people do a really great job of that with their clientele. Mm -hmm. I would say yeah. probably not more of more, more often than so. So some, if, some do, some do, but you're right. Uh, yeah. It's in, in some cases it is underwhelming. To position yourself as a subject matter expert while efficiently creating professional contrast in the eyes of your prospective clients, strategic partners, and ideal clients, deploy a podcasting initiative using the turnkey process developed by Proudmouth. Learn more at Proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life, and all in an intuitive, easy to use turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14 day free trial today. What's interesting there, and you actually you prompt two thoughts. First of all, you said end of life being the picture. Because of demography, some very enlightened advisors are connecting with some very enlightened clients 
about continuity, secession, and family investment legacy, the dynastic issues, where I'm thinking that's probably an, uh, a wedge as well. Because, you know, I use the analogy of climbing Mount Everest. The goal is not to get to the summit and plant the flag and savor the win. The goal is to get back down. So yeah. planting the flag is a goal and call that financial independence. I hit my number. I'm now financially independent. I can live off the income of my own resources. I can go to work because I want to, not because I have to. I have financial freedom. I still have the rest of my life to live. That's called getting back down. That's why the Sherpa analogy is so strong. But now people are starting to think about, okay, what does this look like? And what, is the, what does this look like when I'm gone? What legacy is in place, especially if they own a business, right? And that whole shift from earned money to found money in the activation of entitlement, uh, I think that's going to be a wedge too, where a financial advisor can work that into their future pacing and planning to get a client to really be at peace with where this is all going, even at the end of their life. Yeah. So the so the so what what you're leading to is is there are if you just go back to the core philosophy as a, as a buyer, I hate what I don't understand and can't control. If we just start to delineate all the things that they probably don't understand, it just has never been made clear. If we can then take those things and create process to make those things clear, we can come up with a whole slew of what I'm called proactive services or wedges. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not I use them is based upon two things. Number one, who's my buyer? Is my buyer 40 years old? Is my buyer 75 years old? Is my, you know, you, you, you know, I mean, there's, you know, do they have $2 million? Do they have $20 million? Do they, did they, do they work or did, or did they own a business? All those things you'll come into the equation, obviously. And then the second thing is, who's the incumbent? And either you, either you know the incumbent and what they do, how they do, or you have to kind of stereotype them based upon kind of their, their sort of legacy where they are. If they're a small independent, you know, a little two-man shop, if they're part of a big O regional or national house, I mean, there are ways that they do business and as you start to become a student, then you also know what they do. You, and, and by definition, you know what they don't do. So then your equation is, here's the things I do. Here's who my buyer is. Here's the incumbent. And the incumbent probably does these things really well, but there's all these things that it's just not in their game plan. It's just not who they are. All right. So then it's what I do. The incumbent's not doing is where that buyer is being underserved, but doesn't know it. And that's the other part of that equation. They don't know it. Why? Why don't they know it? Well, um, either they've never been, been a student of it or they tried to know it, became too hard. And so then it, they, they just lowered their expectation and learned how to live with it. We call it toleration. You know, before you and I got on, you said uh, you rode your bike to work today, right? And that it's uh, eight degrees below zero or something. I don't know if that's Celsius or Fahrenheit, but anyway, it's cold. It doesn't matter. It's cold. Um, one of the conditions you tolerate living in Kelowna in the wintertime is sustained cold weather. It's just the way it is. The other thing you get to tolerate in the summertime is sustained beautiful weather, mountains, streams, you know, all that sort of stuff. So those are your conditions. Well, buyers have been conditioned. They've learned how to accept. And so if we will sit there and start to imagine what that's like for them, and then also become a student of our competition, 
then, you know, we're going to use the, the terminology, finding the buyer's pain becomes relatively easy because it's a formula. It's no longer a, a kind of a crapshoot. I've had two epiphanies in the last 90 seconds. The first one is uh, the multitude of benefits that come from going through this exercise to be thoughtful and deliberate. How a financial professional conducts themselves is what the client internalizes and then socializes. So you, you were saying you don't want them to be fluffy and just say, oh, yeah, she's great. I trust her. Well, that's kind of a given. It's a, a minimum gift. requirement, right? Yeah. But you also don't want them to say, oh, yeah, no, she's great. What a salesperson. She's such, she's so good. You want the advocate to say, I've never felt better. When we first got introduced, I felt it was all disconnected all over the map, stuff falling through the cracks. She's got a process in place. She's, a, she's adopted best practices. The consistency is incredible. I've, n- I've never experienced anything like it. So, so that's the first part. The second part is this exercise insulates a business from external wedges. Yeah, so we call it wedge proof. Yeah, you wedge call it wedge proof. proof. Yeah, you wedge proof your account. Okay. So you think about this. You talk about that, that 25-year overnight success story who's been, let's say you're the financial advisor, I'm the client, I've been sort of chipping away, inflection point, liquidity event. I, I, up until last month, I was a $5 million client, but now I just sold my business. And now I have the ability to be a $30 million client. But as I was going through the sale of my business, my kids don't want to be involved. So I had to go with a, basically a broker and a stranger, my accountant, lawyer. And now they're chirping at me, getting in my head saying, hey, I think you've outgrown your advisor. You got to go and go up market. And then I come to you and say, hey, Randy, good news, sold my business. Bad news is I'm moving my account. So this exercise not only adds to persuasive impact, creates advocacy, it makes your business wedge proof. That's solid. That's really solid stuff. I'm going to put on my infomercial hat for a second. So behind the scenes, Randy and his team and my team have been putting together an accretive deliverable called How to Get Your Competition Fired, The Wedge for Financial Advisors, which is the best of Randy's philosophy and approach and the best of Pareto's approach. And our target market for this is the up-and-coming financial professional, which I think is the most underserved segment in the industry. Every team we consult with has a protege, a junior advisor, who in many ways gets left to their own devices. They get allocated clients, generally the 80% who generate 20% of the business. And that protege is positioned as the eventual continuity plan, but that could be five or 10 years out. So we're saying, don't leave them to their own devices. Let's turn them into a magnet 
and a rainmaker. Let's engage them into this four-step approach that we have. And also for new advisors that are just joining the industry or have been in the industry for two, three, four, five years that are trying to achieve plateau avoidance and cut through all the friction and the, uh, the, the volatility, we've got this program, four steps. So it's you and I talking about how to fill the pipeline. Then it's you talking about how to activate wedges that are personalized for the advisor and the practice they're with. And then there's a combination of your approach and our approach for converting clients into advocates. And then there's this ongoing peer sharing where we'll conduct virtual masterminds to share success stories. I couldn't be happier because we've been asked for years, do you have something for the junior, the associate, the protege, the up and comer? We're like, no, we're, we're pretty much up here. But these people up here are now starting to bring on these people and uh, we'll become kind of their HR department, right? And help fast track them to productivity. I'm very, very exciting, excited about that, Randy. Very excited. Hey, me too. I mean, I, I've got an amazing amount of empathy for those up-and-comers. Um, and I remember one time uh, a friend of mine, he, 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 uh, in fact, he was working for me. And he, he had played football at LSU. He was a big old tight end, big monster of a guy. And we were out playing golf, and he just knocked the crap out of the golf ball. And I, I'm over there struggling. I go, well, well, well like, man, how, how do you do that? I mean, can you, can you show me or teach me? And here's what he said. He said, uh, hey, Randy, I mean, you're an athlete. You played basketball in high school, didn't you? I go, yeah. He said, just get up there and be athletic. That solves it all. Thank you very much, Brian. So I use that analogy to show a lot of times when you're an up-and-comer and, and you go to the, 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 the do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-do-to-
are evolving so dramatically. And when, when fee-based and fee-worthiness became uh, something that sort of replaced the broker, right? The transaction, the right. commissions, it was a knowledge industry. So designations, credentials, technical ability, integrity, all of that. Then it started shifting to an enterprise, or sorry, an expertise economy, where they started amplifying their contrast and fee worthiness by being more goals-based at their planning, uh, bedside manner, practice management, client experience, thought leadership, right? Things like that. Now it's shifted to an IP economy where it's an intellectual property. I can only get it from you. Knowledge I can get somewhere else. Expertise I can get somewhere else. Intellectual property, it's proprietary to you. I can only get it from you. And what that does is it amplifies the bench strength. And and I think my point here, Randy, is I want these up-and-comers, right? The protégés, the associates, the juniors, to not just sit and wait. If they're empowered, if they're put into place for redundancy and continuity and the, the you know the down-the-road planning, I don't want them to just think, okay, the lead advisor is going to give me the 80% of the clients that generate 20% of the business, and it's up to me to manage that. If we could make that junior indispensable, to activate a, a level of advocacy within that vein of gold that the, the lead advisor never got to. Because now as the associate, that C client is now my A client. And I can activate advocacy. If simultaneously, I can go out and be a magnet for client acquisition and go out and target and attract high quality clients outside of the lead advisor's core business. It's no longer me just taking over a business. It's me having a leadership position in this enterprise and feeling very empowered. Uh, And and so as I think about this with you, I'm very, very excited. So if anybody, okay, at a minimum, at a minimum, I can just see a version over your left shoulder there, the wedge. And you can see above that how to get your competition fired. At a minimum, you've got to get your hands on Randy's books. At a minimum. As you can tell, it's it's different. It's thoughtful. It's respectful. And you could have a client read that book and say, oh, okay, I get it now. You wouldn't be embarrassed because there's no trickery. There's no tactics. If you want to go deeper uh, into this, how to get your competition fired DIY sequential approach that Randy and I are putting together, what we got together, uh, then just let us know. Call us at Pareto Systems. See me on LinkedIn. Randy promises that he's going to uh, be more active on LinkedIn as well. Uh, So that's going to be great. I'm not sure, Randy, in, in all sincerity, if I gave the wedge enough context and uh, it's due because it's so incredibly solid. So we're definitely going to have to have you back uh, and maybe go a little bit deeper into the anti-sales approach, right? So attract, not chase, because it's just so profoundly good. Uh, but any closing comments before I let you go? 
I don't, yeah, I, I mean, what, what kind of struck me is um, I, I really think of the wedge in a lot of ways as a buyer facilitation process. The, the reason we get out of the selling business is because if they really understood, if they really understood what they do, we do, they would want it. So then the precursor of that is we got to get really clear on what we do and we got to be great at articulating in a way um, so that, that now they understand it because that's, that, that's what they want because it creates predictability and what everybody wants is predictability. And, whether, and, and who knows how they acknowledge that, but everybody wants predictability with the exception of, I don't know, maybe, maybe if you're a young guy and you're going to a bar, you, you, you love the excitement of the unpredictable, but fundamentally, particularly around this whole environment, money, we want predictability. And so, so you're able to build that. And so it becomes a facilitation process to get them to discover that by raising their expectations, let them then see that the, the current person's not doing it. And, and then they, it, it, they evolve. And so it's, it's, um, you know, without, without, Trying to get into, without the fear of being sound the hyperbole, the you know the the ratio of success for most people that get good at this doubles and triples. Why? Because it's what buyers want. It's not because we're great. It's because it's what buyers want, and that becomes the 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 the, the, the at the heart of it. Okay, and and I totally forgot something that is such a gem. So, so caveat emptor, apprehension, anticlimax, all of that is just, just completely eased off because it's not a sales encounter. What I forgot to ask you was that absolutely powerful uh, call to action for the prospective buyer who has basically said, I just want to get started. Where you tell the prospective buyer what's about to happen when they go back to their incumbent. Can I put you on the spot there? It's so profound. So could you run with that? Yeah. So, 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 so let's suppose the buyer did say, I want to get started. Well, getting started is the easy part. Can we talk about the hard part? And then what's that? Well, after you've gone ahead and signed the agreement to get started, the question is, how are you going to tell the other guy that it's over? And then, 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 then they say, what do they say? Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to tell them. Okay, well, can I tell you what's going to happen? I promise you when he finds out that you're making this shift, he, he's going to want to come over and see you. He's going to bring in the proverbial sort of little wine and cheese basket and say, here, you pop the top on the wine. He's going to slice the cheese. He's going to say to you, please don't do this. We were with you as your kids were growing up. We were with you back in the tough time between 07 and 08. Um, yeah, we, we, we've been there for you. I, I don't know what those other people are telling you, but if it's products, you know, we've got everything everybody else does. If it's services, we've got everything everybody has there. And, and they're going to put a lot of pressure on you to do nothing. I'm just curious when they do, how are you going to handle it? And so in essence, you're rehearsing them through what it, the, the emotion, and, you, and you, you're doing your best to bring the incumbent into a room and have them feel that. Now in your presence, so you can help them through it, so that when they see it for the the, the second time, it, it almost looks like cheesy. If if and when the incumbent comes back and goes, well, we can do that, we can do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've already made my decision, and it becomes easy. And so when we get into teaching the course and doing further further webinars and stuff like that, we'll get into a lot more psychology and, and break that down for people. It's uh, it's pretty powerful. 
it, it's such a powerful dry run, essentially, uh, where they're so well prepared. There's nothing that the soon to be former incumbent can say or do. They're just playing defense and throwing Hail Marys. Oh, the grass isn't going to be greener. And I've had clients leave before and then come back. And you're right. It just has this air of desperation, which in many ways validates my decision. I'm finally, I'm with somebody that I, I, I knew was out there. That's really, really good. So everybody, again, get your hands on the wedge and how to get your competition fired. If you want to understand this collaboration with Randy and Pareto, uh, just let us know. I'm so excited about it because it's been a piece we've been missing for so long and it just plugs in so beautifully. And uh, you're such a thoughtful, articulate uh, representative. So I'm really looking forward to working with you and going deep here, but uh, thanks for your time. We're going to do this again soon. And uh, I really appreciate being here. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit proudmouth.com to learn more. 